Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Live such good lives. And here's the thing, it's impossible for us to live good lives if we're constantly complaining about our lives. I mean, we can't say I'm living a good life if I'm complaining about, although the weather has not been the greatest, my job is not the greatest, my kids are not the greatest, my family is not the greatest, another broken down car, another health issue, another that. And that stuff happens. I mean, we experience it. But he is saying that we are still supposed to live such good lives. And here's the thing, among the pagans, and I've said before, that word pagans, uh, it's the Greek word ethnos, and it's where we get the word Chinese food. Were you guys? Ethnos, ethnicity, ethnic food, Chinese food. It's like connected dots. Boing, 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 boing. Seriously. But that's, that's, it's, that's what that word means. And it's where we get Chinese food and all these other ethnic foods. And, and the, the, the indication is that he's not just talking about, if you look in some of the translations, it says Gentiles. But it's not just Gentiles. It's every non-believer, every non-follower of God, of every religion, from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, anywhere on the planet where there are people that don't believe in God, we're supposed to live such good lives in their presence so that they may, even though, and this is key, even though they may accuse us of doing wrong, that they may see what we are doing, our good deeds, and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, there are a lot of people who don't believe in God that look at us and accuse us of doing wrong. Now, sometimes they're right, because the church has done some crazy things over the course of history, and there are people who call themselves Christ followers in churches today that do some things that God may not be that pleased with. But here he's talking specifically about those people that look at you and say, oh, you're those crazy Christians who believe that God created man out of the dirt, that he made a little clay and then man started walking. You're the crazy Christians that believe that you're wrong. You're the crazy Christians that believe that God heals people and yet the world is filled with people full of AIDS and cancer. You're wrong. And we get that a lot. But they're also supposed to say, you're the crazy people that in the dead of winter, when everyone else is huddled down in their homes, you're the ones that go downtown and hand out coffee and coats to the homeless. Just stand on a street corner and hand out cones. You're the ones that do that. They're also supposed to say, you're the ones that collect a couple of hundred dollars to give to a family just because their son has a debilitating disease. And even though you've never met the family, you've never met the son, you gave money to him. You're the ones that did that. They're supposed to see our good deeds and not think of us, but know that there is a God. Now, on a side note, um, speaking about, you know, Christians that that think we're crazy and whatever. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Ray Comfort? Nobody, not a soul. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the one. Okay, he's an evangelist, and he goes around, and he's preaching. He works with, I forget his name, Kirk Cameron. How many of you guys have heard of Kirk Cameron? 
There you go. Okay. All right. Uh, they have this thing called the way of the comfort, but he has this thing called life. And I'm not going to get it right. And it's not on here in front of me. I think it's like Life Way or something like that organization. And he made a, a movie. Now, he went to, um, you know, the people that said, hey, uh, God didn't create man. Man evolved from the slime onto the earth and then became a monkey and then the monkey. He went to them and asked them, hey, you guys are saying it happened this way. We as Christians are saying it happened this way. So he asked them, you know, you say, hey, you Christians are crazy because there's no evidence of that. So he asked them, where's your evidence of a man coming from a monkey, coming from a, a, a slime? Where's any evidence of that? And he put it on a DVD. It's about 30 or 40 minutes long. And we have about, I think, seven or eight or nine or ten of these. There's some in the back. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome DVD. If you want to do something, sit down with your family. It's like 38 or 40 minutes out of your life, but it's a really awesome uh, DVD. Uh, they're free for you guys to take in the back. Uh, just grab one on your way out. If there's not enough back there, I can put some more back there. But there's people that look at us like we're crazy because of the things we believe. We believe in a God that we can't see, touch, or feel. But there are people that also are impacted and move closer to believing in this God because they see the things that the church does for humanity. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, I'm going to put a couple of these other verses up in different versions because when you look at some different versions, uh, they emphasize different things. Okay? So I'm going to put this up, the same verse up in the complete Jewish Bible version. And this is what it says. The translators of this have translated it just slightly differently. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents not to give in to the desires of your old nature, which keep warring against you, but to live such good lives among the pagans that even though they now speak against you as evildoers, they will, as a result of seeing your good actions, give glory to God on the day of his coming. Now, uh, the translators of the complete Jewish Bible a lot of their translations, same thing. They translate from the, the, either the Hebrew or the Greek or, in some cases, the Aramaic, uh, in this case, from the Greek. But they translate it based on understanding that there was usually a Jewish speaker that God was using to speak to and usually to speak to a largely Jewish audience. And so they kind of stick on and hit on some things and, and, and emphasize some things that would spark something in a Jewish person. And for example, where uh, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents, normally when I highlight it on the slide, I put it in red. I didn't put it in red here because those words, aliens and temporary residents, are emphasized in the complete Jewish Bible anyway. And, and the reason they're emphasized is because it would have sparked something in a Jewish person to hear that because throughout their history, they were told that we were aliens and temporary residents in Egypt. So that would have sparked some memory. It would have sparked some, oh, yeah, that's in my history, my ancestry. In addition to that, over and over and over, God told them that you are to be a, this is not your home. You are to be a separate nation set apart. Don't get comfortable there. 
And throughout the New Testament, we, we read where it says that this is not our home. And if you look in the complete Jewish Bible, there's a little asterisk next to aliens and temporary residents. And it refers back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, which I'm going to put up here on the screen. This is what it says. And this is God speaking through Moses to Israel. And he says, now if you, meaning the Israelites, will pay careful attention to what I say and keep my covenant, then you will be my own treasure from among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you will be a kingdom of Kohenim for me, a nation set apart. These are the words you are to speak to the people of Israel. That word Kohenim is priests. God's telling them that, hey, you know what? You guys are supposed to be a holy nation of priests set apart. Now, he's telling them, hey, uh, Peter, when he's talking in the verse we just looked at, and a couple of verses after that, he says, you're to submit to the governing authorities wherever you are. But you're not to surrender to them. And we said there's a difference between submit and surrender. Submit means I'm going to acknowledge your authority, and I'm going to willingly allow myself to do what you say for a time, for a season, for a reason. Surrender means I am totally going to abandon everything of myself and totally give in and give up to you. And so he says that, hey, you're supposed to be, your temporary residence there, you are meant to be set apart as a holy nation. And here's the thing, I know there's just, you know, balance that people try to keep when you talk politics and religion uh, in the United States. And there's a lot of people that say, hey, this isn't a Christian nation. But, and I've said this before, one of the first things that the leaders of this nation did when it was formed, not just the president, not just the Senate and the Congress, not just the Supreme Court, but once all of the pieces were in place that made up our government, the very, the Bible doesn't tell us this, history tells us this, the very first thing that they did is they went and prayed together and worshipped God. Because regardless of what you hear or what you read or what, I'm not going to say who's saying it, but the intent was that we are supposed to be one nation under God. God said that he wanted the, the Israelites who were his followers at that time to be one nation set apart for him. And the leaders of this nation, when it was formed, came together as the governing body of this nation with the intent that we would be one nation under God. Now, uh, I'm going to switch to the Amplify because it amplifies and talks about something else. And in the Amplified version, when they translate words, they often give you some other synonyms so that you can get a better idea or clarify some of the words they use. And I'm just going to read verse 11. It says, Beloved, I implore you, as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world to abstain from the sensual urges, the evil desires, the passions, passions of the flesh, your lower nature, that wage war against your soul. Now, here's, here is where there's a lot of emphasis on the desires and our passions. And they are sinful. And, and here, uh, it, it's amplified because it says your lower nature, meaning our human nature, and I've said this before, and we've looked at verses before, where uh, if man were left alone without any influence from God, without his Holy Spirit, without God's presence, 
we would give in to our basest desires, which are greed and lust. And we would seek to fulfill those if it were not checked by God's Holy Spirit. Now, what he says is that, and we've, we've got to understand this, that our basest desires, he says they're evil, and that the passions of our flesh, they war against our soul. And there's often times where, uh, and this is where Paul talks about um, basically his, for lack of a better term, his, um, I, here, what I want to do, I don't want to do, and what I do want to do, and he goes back and forth. Uh, and it's, it's, it's him saying that, hey, I want to do good, but then my flesh wants to do this thing, and it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And that, that's, that's human nature, where we may want to do something, but our flesh wants to do something else. And this is what we're going to talk about today, because those desires, those passions, for lack of a better term, we're going to call them those are our wants. And so we're going to focus on just surrendering our wants, those things that we desire, those things that we are passionate about, surrendering those to God. Because here's the, here's the reality. Our desires and passions are what drive us. They're what allow us to function from day to day. And I know um, what I'm about to say may not match up with what they're teaching in school. And I'm not trying to go from a uh, uh, sociological point or anything like that. But there are three basic desires that we all have. And we have, you know, and want for physical wants or needs. We have a desire or want for emotional wants or needs and spiritual wants or needs. Your physical desires, food. Everybody wants food. I want it more than others sometimes, but everybody wants food. Everybody likes food. Uh, Everyone has the desire for clothes and shelter. But here's the thing. Some of us have a desire for more expensive food, more food, better food, more clothes, more expensive clothes, and not just shelter, but we want a big, bigger, the biggest shelter with 17 rooms, four bathrooms, and a three-car garage so we can fit the rest of our physical wants inside of there. And then we have a garage sale and sell all our wants so we can make room for more wants. And everyone has the desire for emotional needs. Now, here's the thing. Um, Physical intimacy, it's what we call it, but it can be either physical or emotional. That intimacy can be driven by emotion, love, romance, all that kind of stuff, or pure physical lust. But everyone has a desire for intimacy. We have a desire. Everyone wants to be loved, appreciated. We want to be made to feel special. We want people to notice us, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. And we all have a desire for a spiritual need. But here's the thing. A lot of people will negate and just suppress, and Paul talks about this in Romans, suppressing the physical or the spiritual desire to know our Creator and to know our purpose. But these are all basic needs that everyone has. Now, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Matthew. And we're going to look at uh, Jesus talking about all of these. And a message he shares. And he talks about, this is, this is one of the beautiful things that I love about Jesus. Because he doesn't talk on a big you know, theological 
level, using words that people don't understand. He talks at a plain, simple level to make sure that we get it, that we know exactly what he's talking about, and that he means it for us. So um, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And in verse 1, now this is after he's already been talking about things that matter to people. He's talking about divorce. He's talking about loving your enemies. He's talking about revenge. He's talking about all these human emotions. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he starts off addressing the most basic human need that we have. For people to notice us, the need for attention, the need for people to see who we are and see what we've accomplished, all right? And here's the thing. He says, he says that, hey, it's okay to do these things, but don't do them for the wrong reason. Don't do it just so that, don't do good deeds just so that other people will say, wow, look how awesome you are. Look how good you are. Look how great you are. But he he goes on and he says in verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now this is important because he says, yeah, it's good to give. It's good to give to the needy. And although he's, 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 he's probably addressing giving financial resources, but I think he's also addressing giving your time because that's valuable too. Human resources, not just one people, but 20 or 30 people. And I've had people tell me this. I've had people tell me this because when we go downtown, we didn't do it last year because I messed up, and I thought, let's change it all around and do something different, and it didn't work out, and it flopped, so we didn't do it last year. This year, we're going to go back to just collecting, starting in probably September, collecting coats and blankets and socks and shoes and just taking that downtown. I tried to get all these other churches involved, and no one wanted to be involved, and that just flopped, so we're just going to go back to doing what we do, collecting coats and blankets and shoes and taking coffee downtown and just standing on a street corner and handing them out to people in need. And you would be surprised because it's not just homeless people. It's not just people who have nowhere to lay their head. There were families that were coming up saying, hey, we couldn't afford a coat. We couldn't afford shoes for our kids. We couldn't afford blankets. And we were just here, take as many as you can carry. And I've had people tell me, we shouldn't do that because we're enabling the homeless and the poor to stay homeless and poor. And I would agree with you, except that Jesus said, go out and give to the needy. So I'm not as concerned with what someone else says, someone in charge of some organization, or some guy with an opinion says. I'm concerned with what God says. And God says it's a good thing to go out and give to the needy for the right reason. All right? He also says, and this is cool, he says, it's not, we're not doing it so that other people will look at us and notice us. So that other people will look and say, hey, look what that church is doing. It's not a big deal when other people notice you. 
not a big deal. I mean, it may seem like it is when your boss notices you did this good thing, or maybe your husband or wife, they didn't notice the extra effort you put into something. You know when it's a big deal? When God notices it. He says, hey, don't do it to show off for them. Do it because it's right, and God says he will see it, and he will reward you. All right, drop down to... uh, Verse 19. Now, he continues talking about all of these spiritual needs. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. And then drop down to verse 19. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Now, this is awesome. This is probably one of the most, uh, in my opinion, one of the most powerful things that Jesus talks about. He says that, hey, we're not supposed to spend time seeking after money, although money is good. I know someone out there is saying amen. We're not supposed to, that's not to be supposed to be the primary thing that we seek after. But he says that he, this, this is cool. Uh, let me say this. Now, I've heard people say, and you guys have probably heard this sense too, and I've even said it, that, you know, it's not just the United States that's in an economic crisis. The world is in an economic crisis. Pretty much any country, if you take a map, throw a, a, a dart at it, pretty much any country you hit, they're struggling with some level of financial adversity. Right? We're in one. Uh, Russia's in one. Britain's in one. Greece is definitely in one. I mean, you just pick a country, they're struggling with some level of financial adversity. And here's the thing. It's not because of things done wrong for most of them. It's because they have an economic problem because they have a spending problem. In most cases, it's more money is being spent than is being taken. Does that make sense? I mean, if you are taking in more money than you're spending, you don't have a problem. You have what people call a good business plan. But if you are spending more money than you're taking in, you have what's called an economic problem. And do you know the reason why all those countries, us included, have an economic problem? It's because we have a want problem. We want more stuff. So we're spending more money, and we're spending more money than we have the ability to pay, which is why we have an economic problem. I mean, that's, that's just basic. And that's why not just us, but all these countries have an economic problem. Now, here's the thing. Here's what Jesus says. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, here's the important thing. That word that's used for treasure, it literally means collectible or precious item. It's, it's that thing that we assign a value to, which is going to vary from person to person. Some things that you might think are valuable and precious, someone else might look at and say, that's just junk to me. And let me put it this way. If, if, uh, if, if we were to have a fire up at the house and we were there, for me, I'm going to run around, fire permitting, and try to grab cell phone iPad, Nexus, all the digital gadgetry, that's important to me. It's valuable. I'm going to be trying to grab the laptops before I grab any clothes or anything like that. 
Now, Christy, on the other hand, she's going to go grab the coupons because those are literally, from her perspective, legal tender. That's like money. She's going to go grab the coupons. She may grab some of the pictures and items from her family. Hopefully, one of us is going to grab the dog we're dog sitting for. But if it were a cat, we probably wouldn't worry. But depending on who you are, you're going to assign value to something that someone else may look at and say that's not valuable. To some people, uh, what's valuable, what's a treasure to them may be that job that they're holding. To some other people, it may be the fact that, hey, um, the Steelers, that's, that's the most important thing. Let me grab all the Steelers paraphernalia. Everyone has a different perspective because we all have different life experiences on what we consider valuable. Now, here's the cool thing. Jesus said that wherever that thing is that you consider valuable, that treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart is that thing that, that, that drives you based on your passions and your desires. So whatever you look at and say, this is important to me, this is precious to me, your heart is going to go there. You're going to devote your time, your energy, and your life to the things that pull on your heart. And there are people that devote their time, their energy, and their lives to things that pull on their heart, their job, to sports, to digital things, to whatever it is. And Jesus says, hey, that's not the best thing to do. Here's what he says. This is awesome. He says, because those things can be gone in an instant. You can spend your life devoted to making this the best job ever and climbing the corporate ladder and that the decision of one person you have never met, your job can be gone. You can make the decision that, hey, I'm going to put away as much money in the bank because I just want to have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank and in the stock market and at the decision, right or wrong, of one person you never met, that bank could go under, the stock market could crash, and you have nothing. You can make a relationship your treasure. This is the most important thing in the world to me, this relationship with this person. And in an instant, your relationship could end. And Jesus says, that's not the most important thing. Uh, You can drop down to verse 31, but I'm going to put it up here on the screen. This is what he says. When it comes to all of these things, all of these needs, uh, your clothes, your food, all of these things, he says, do not worry. That word worry literally means to give attention to, to give care to, to seek after. He says, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? So all these things that we're we're worried about, how much food and clothing and, and, and all of these things, he says, don't worry about them for the pagans run after all these things. He said, don't worry about them. Every, every single nation, tribe, tongue, every person on the planet, they are concerned with, I got to provide a way to eat. I need food, I need shelter, I need clothing. It's a basic concern. And he even says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. But here's his response. Here's the thing that we're supposed to make our treasure that we seek after. He says, seek first. That means before I worry about clothing, before I worry about 
paying my bills, before I worry about my job, before I worry about anything else on the planet, I'm supposed to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And here's the beauty that comes when we do that. He says, when you do that, all these things, all these other things will be given to you as well. He says, when you put God first, God knows that you need clothing. He knows that you need a place to live. He knows that you need food. But when you put him first, then he says, I got all this other stuff. I'll take care of it. So here's the million dollar question. You know, because we said we're going to look for practical ways to engage in surrendering ourselves. So how does this help us surrender our wants and our desires on a practical, everyday, basic, I can physically do this. It's not just some concept we talked about, but here's the thing that I am supposed to do. And just like we said before, uh, when we surrender ourselves and worship to God, just expect God to be good and expect God to do good. When it comes to surrendering our wants, we have to ask God, is what I want good? Not according to Floyd, but according to you, God. Now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, let me just share this with you quickly. Now, we have, in this country, the benefit of... uh, Lots of Americans having uh, multiple two cars in their family. And now Christy and I, have, have, we have two cars, um, and I don't know if you saw her Facebook status, but uh, they're both they're literally on life support, right? Uh, the Saturn is uh, it's 2008, so that's, what, five years old? 2007, okay, it's even older. Not too bad. But the Honda that she has... It's like a 13-year-old car. That's like a million in dog years. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's on its last leg. And we have been praying about, and uh, you know, how, how do we, do we get rid of it? Do we get a new one? Do we get rid of it? Do we get a new one? And then I think uh, it was like a week or two ago, one of her friends, their car broke down, and she went to go pick them up, and that just made me say, hey, that's it. We need to focus on getting a new car. When I say new car, I mean new to me, used car, but whatever. We just need to focus on getting you a safe, reliable vehicle. And her thought was, we, we're going to stick this out. We have this. We don't want to get another car payment. And I, I said, you better pray about this because you're putting yourself at risk being out there in an unreliable car. And without skipping a beat, she said, you better pray about this. And I said, I have been praying, and I had to stop because my prayer was, God, make her agree with me that she needs to get another car. She needs to be safe. I don't want to be worried about her. Sometimes she's coming back through the city. Sometimes if she's at work, she's not leaving until late at night. And I don't want to be worried about her. And so I was pestering her for a while. But when she said that, I had to step back and stop pestering her about it. Because I realized I wasn't asking God, God, is what I want good in your eyes? I was telling God, what I want is what I want her to want. And kind of excluding him from it. And what God tells us to do is in every situation, and it may seem weird to some people, it may seem crazy to some people, but in every situation, every time we want something, 
asking God, hey, God, is what I want good according to you as Lord God of my life? And that may seem a little harsh to some people, but that's all God asks from us because he says when we do that, when we ask him, when we put him first above the other things that we would call treasures, and we make him our treasure, he says, I'll give you all this other stuff. I'll provide all these other things that you need. I just want for you to seek me. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of uh, just praising God and seeking after him. And I'm going to ask you to take a moment and think about, is there something in your life that you have made this thing a treasure? And you've made it more important than seeking after God. It may be your job that you've done everything at all costs to keep it. It may be something to do with, you know, your family. It may be that you've already adjusted your schedule so you can watch every Steeler game without saying, hey, God, but is there something else you would have me do during this time? This is a time for us to look and say, God, how can I make sure that I'm seeking you first? Bow your head for a minute. God, we acknowledge there's a lot of things today that we put ahead of you. Whether it be physical things, whether it be emotional things, whether it be just the things that jump up day to day that we didn't even know were coming, we, we will put those in front of seeking you. And God, we ask that you forgive us for that. We ask that here in this place, from this day forward that we would surrender our desires, our wants those things that we think we need that we would surrender them to you and that we would seek harder after you than we do the things of this world that we would make you our treasure make you the thing that we desire, that we crave, that we long for. God, we pray that going forward that our hearts will be filled with your presence. That we would look upon our relationship with you as being more important than anything else on this planet that every day, in every way, every time that we get to that point of seeking after or running after a desire or want, that we would ask you, surrender and ask you, God is what I want good, not according to me, but according to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said amen. Amen.